right, everybody, welcome to the 266th edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage here in uh, Beaverton, Oregon, ready to talk about this very interesting prospect. It is the second edition of our Future Friday series, and it was really exciting to, to watch, to kind of think about this as this is really my first initiation into who Paolo Banchero is. I've, I've heard the name. I knew he went to Duke. I knew he's supposed to be a top three prospect, possibly even going number one overall, but I hadn't really watched him at all. So I, I came into this, this game with really no preconceived notions, no real bias as much as I can try to uh, put aside and just kind of watched with, with fresh eyes to see uh, what what all what the hype was about, how I felt about him as a prospect. And it's even more exciting to think about going later on in, in the year into, into the spring and look at a game from February and then in March and see how he's progressed and then look at the notes, what I took today compared to what I see him progressing and evolving into. So with that said, this is a future Friday episode of Holy Backboard. We are discussing Paolo Banchero. He is a 6'10", 250-pound forward from Duke University. He is from the Pacific Northwest, Seattle, Washington, to be exact. 19 years old, born November 12th, 2002. Five-star by rivals, the number two player nationally. Uh, chose Duke over the likes of Kentucky, North Carolina, and Gonzaga. As of this recording, Duke is currently 12-2. and two. They are ranked number eight in both the coaches poll and the AP poll. And the game that we are discussing right now is the first game of the season. It was a coaches versus cancer tip-off. Madison Square Garden, it was the second half of a doubleheader. Duke versus Kentucky, two blue blood programs. There was a lot of NBA star power in that in that building. There was a lot of electricity, and it was from November 10th, 2021. Before we get into that game stage, just want to discuss or just want to list off uh, Paolo's stats so far through the 11th. So through yesterday of, of January 2022, currently. Paolo is averaging 17.3 points, 7.5 boards, 2.3 assists. He's shooting the ball 49.4% from the field, 34.1 from three, 77.5% from the line. He's playing 29.4 minutes and has a PER of 26.2. With all that said, Sage, let's get into this game. Duke, Kentucky, arguably the top prospect in the draft. What initially jumped out at you when you watched this game? I mean, the ball skills have to be number one. I mean, that a, a player that's 6'10", that can do hang dribbles and like different types of dribble moves to generate space and the gravity that that showed. When a guy's that tall and the dribbles that well, you're focusing on him. So the gravity of which he, what he could do with the dribble, with the ball skills set up a lot of good passes from him. The fact that your big has that type of playmaking versatility is really, really impressive from a 19-year-old guy. And, I mean, Paolo really started to, like, before his thing was solid defense, solid offense. But now that he has this dribble and this the playmaking and the gravity, 
I mean, his game's changed from just solid Paulo to he can do some dribble combos and be the secondary creator on your offense. So I, I, th- I think the playmaking was the thing that uh, stood out to me the most. What about for you? Yeah, uh, just to also add on to your point, in this game, 22 points in 31 minutes, uh, 7 of 11 from the field, 0 of 3 from downtown, 7 boards, 2 steals, 1 turnover, and just 2 fouls. Also got to the line 9 times, converting 8 of those. He so, can yeah. go to the line. real like He drew fouls like at a really ridiculous rate for a big man that game. There were a couple of things that jumped out at me, and one of them was what you mentioned, was the ability to put the ball on the floor from 15 to 20 feet out and look effective and look uh, confident in in his moves. He has an NBA go-to move right now. You could put him in the league and he is going to score and be effective. Uh, Guys that big who are able to be comfortable on the perimeter with the ball in their hands, facing up uh, a true dribble, a true triple threat, you know, dribble pass shoot from that wing going to be very difficult to stop. There's not going to be many defenders that are going to stop him from getting to his spot and you have to respect his quickness, so you can't play too tight on him, but you can't play too far off of him because he has a very, very smooth jumper from, from that range. So that's that's obviously one of the first things that jumped out at me was the ability to put the ball on the floor at 6'10 and look like a guard in doing so. On something that was a little bit more concerning for me was I thought he was very nonchalant in the body language and the effort early on, and that carried on throughout the Mm. game for me. Uh, Are we talking defense or offense? Just in in general, like um, it just looked like, and after he scored, like you got the emotion from him, but there was times where he just kind of looked like he was like floating around out there. And I was like, this is MSG. This is the opener ESPN Duke, Kentucky. Like I, 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 maybe that's just his persona. You know, Tim Duncan was, was the similar, similar uh, in mannerisms, but I, I wanted to see a little bit more. And I knew, noticed that that kind of translated over into his rebounding and the lack of that, that was the major red flag for me was, his board work. And I know he got seven. He's going to walk into seven boards at 610 in the way he moves. But I caught him with his hands down a lot, ball watching, uh, not his trying, defense was awful. Yeah, not trying to put a body on anybody. Like he was not boxing out at all. Didn't maybe once put put an attempt to go out and, and get a rebound. So that's concerning for me that I, I didn't see that right off the bat. And I don't know if that's something that can be taught. Um, what my personal theory is, he was the best player on the court. Everyone knew it. He's probably been the best player on the court ever since he put put, put on uh, basketball shorts and basketball shoes. Like, so he maybe he's just like, you know, I'm just going to play it pretty cool. Um, and and we, we've seen that from prospects before. Like, they, they know they're the best and they're, they probably don't feel challenged, right? And, and they kind of take it a little bit easy. So that would be my major concern would and also what jumped out on the page is like how wonderful he looked on offense the rebounding scares me especially from a big because when when we looked at Jabari Smith for example last week that we were like you could put anybody around Jabari Smith and you're going to build a winner I think you have to put a specific type of big 
and other wing next to Paolo to make up for his deficiencies on the glass because at that position, you need somebody who's going to go in there and fight and get those boards because what also was a beautiful thing is how well he handled the ball in the open court. I want a guy who's going to go grab that board and then push the tempo. I mean, that would really take him from role player, starter to elite. Like that's a massive jump. If he's able to dominate the glass and then initiate the break with his guard skills. So there is a lot of room for improvement. There is a lot to love, but there's, there are some warning signs for me. So my biggest question when I was watching is, is he a good fit with Damian Lillard? Like if we're doing the compete for Dame thing, does his usage remind you of like what we're dealing with, with Yusuf and CJ where Paolo needs to have the ball in his hands to be that gravity on the court. Like they're not going to help off of Paolo if the ball isn't off his hand in his hands. How would that work with two players that need the ball in their hands so much in Damian Lillard and Paolo? Offensively, I'm not concerned. I think wherever Paolo goes, he's going to be the one or two option as he should be. So he should be getting the lion's share of the usage. And I do think he has a lot. I put this in my notes. He has a lot of pick and pop potential. We didn't really see it. And on the one time he got it, he the ball stuck. Like he really wants to do that Carmelo Anthony jab, jab, and then I'll make my move. So he needs to be more decisive in terms of the pick and pop, but catch and shoot off of a, you know, a pick and pick and pop is not a tough skill for someone of his caliber to excel at. So I'm not, I'm not too concerned that I didn't see a lot of it in this game. So I think you can get him into the offense without him just dominating the basketball, but you're absolutely right. He is more of an isolation scorer than somebody who's going to work with like Jabari um, Smith fits with Damian really well. Yeah. I don't know if the fit with Damian Lillard in this this version of Damian Lillard, what Paolo could be, would be a good fit in terms of like working as a cohesive unit. I think it would be a lot of your turn, my turn type of sets with with uh like who has the ball and what what happens. And you know what Damian Lillard does off ball and it's rather uh well he's had the ball for in his hands for the last like 20 years. So he doesn't know what it's like to, you know, work off cuts trying to get open to shoot. So, yeah, my biggest concern in terms of fit would be on the defensive end, because if if you're talking about building around Damian Lillard, and this is why I've been so, I've been a big proponent of, of tanking and getting a top pick and going after Jabari Smith is when you have Dame as your best player and you're paying him as your best player, you have to build a team around him that makes up for his deficiencies. And we, a big deficiency is on the defensive end. You need players who are going to sort of disguise his, his deficiencies on that end of the floor. And I don't think Paolo at this stage in his career is going to be able to do that right away. Now he does move well laterally. I, 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 knew, I noted that like, he's not stiff out there. He has the potential. It's going to be all about him tapping into himself, but also the right coaching staff that challenges him to be a good defender and a good rebounder because I he, felt like his on ball was fine, yeah, on but ball his off, off ball was just awful. Like there was a lot of bad communication on the entire Duke team. And I, I'm first game though. Yeah. I'm willing to chalk that up to the first game uh, jitters and not really knowing your, your team that well. I mean, we, we know teams like Duke and Kentucky and Gonzaga and Carolina, 
they just flood one and dones in there. So that it's a new crop of players every single season. There's not much continuity or chemistry. So you're right. I, I'm willing to chalk that up to just being the first game, but he did look a little lost uh, off he ball. Did, it, it looked like he just did not care. Like, you know, when you watch Jabari, for example, he's like in good help position all the time. I think the only time that I thought that uh, Paulo was in good position was like when the rebound was absolutely coming off the rim, his direction, he would put himself in a good position. He wouldn't, I don't think he ever tried to get a rebound outside of his general area, but when it was going in his general area, I was like, oh, that's good anticipation skills at least. I don't think he's going to be an amazing above the rim athlete. Like he had one good dunk, but it was just like, I've seen that a million times. It wasn't that special. So if he if he gets that anticipation skills up so he can just first jump, get rebounds. I mean, like Randolph couldn't jump that high, but Zebo got boards. If he can just get that anticipation and that's tough though. That that's a that's such a tough skill. I'm using the night like the the, the exception to the rule. Oh, absolutely. And we've talked about this, I think, since the, the the beginning of time on Holy Backboard. Rebounding translates from college to the pros. So if he was a solid rebounder and I saw those anticipation skills, I would be floored with, with Banchero. Uh, my big question and what I noticed, right now he's playing for Coach K. He's still 19 years old. This is Coach K's last year. I, I don't think he's going to cause any sort of issues but when he gets to the league and we see players get that contract and maybe they've been hyped up and they they're, they they hear the media chatter about how great they are. We've seen this from, from players from time to time. Is he going to be able to stay engaged on defense if he's not getting the amount of touches that he wants offensively? You know, that's tough to project because I don't know what's going on. Well, what's going on in his head if we're winning it doesn't if the team he's on is winning i don't think it's going to be an issue but maybe if they just suck he goes to a rebuilding team and they just suck and he doesn't get the 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 touches because they're trying to get anthony simons to get all the reps ant can get as the point guard then maybe, but I, you know, that's a, that, that's difficult to project because shit. I've only seen him in Duke and then at a really good high school in Seattle. So it's not like I've seen him in a losing situation. So if there's always that chance, but I, I, I don't, I can't say yes or no. Yeah. And it wasn't more of an in, in, indictment on who he is as a, as a person. It was, okay, I've noticed this already nonchalant body language. I've really only seen him get fired up after making baskets. Like, is is that going to evolve into what we've seen some, some players? Like, to your example, Zach Randolph on the Blazers, like, when he wasn't getting the ball, it's like, what, what else is he doing, right? So that's, that's another thing. It's like, and we've seen this with CJ McCollum. For, for example, if he's not scoring the basketball, what else can, can Banchero do? So that's, I think when you're looking at, at Banchero as a prospect, the floor is really high. The ceiling may not be what you want from a top two, top three draft pick. Yeah. So also you mentioned CJ. I don't think there's a chance in hell that CJ and Yusuf, Dame and Paolo can be on the court 
together. There's just only one basketball and they're all really high usage players. No, like, if, if Portland gets Banchero, you need to build defensive players around him, players who don't need the ball to score a lot of catch and shoot, a lot of three and D uh, you need someone who is going to feed him the basketball. Like ideally you get a young Chris Paul and they are going to find him and make him a priority because he can be a, a number one scoring option in the league. Like the, the talent is just oozing out of this player. But if you're talking about like all-star or perennial all NBA, that's where the, the leaps need to come on the glass and on the off ball defense, because those are what the, all, when you look at the, the great power forwards, whether it's, you know, Dirk or KG or Barkley or, you know, Duncan, they're all two-way players. And then you start to, to pull the, the curtain back and you look at, I'll even use Carmelo Anthony as an example. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer, absolutely. But that's because he was a first ballot Hall of Famer scorer, but he was a tough player to build around and his team's really never won. So if if you want to build success around Banchero, you need someone that's going to feed him the ball in his spots and make him as effective and efficient as possible because I look, I kept looking up at the score and I was like, okay, he's got all these points. He's only taken like a few shots. Like he is so effective and he wasn't, there was only a couple of times where I watched him. I was like, okay, you're doing too much out there. But the, the alley-oop pass to uh, the alley-oop, he, he drew the charge when he was trying to do too many dribble moves. So like that was a really good sign for me that he wasn't being ineffective. He wasn't trying to do too much. The ball does have a tendency. To oh, he's, stick. it sticks. It, it absolutely sticks. sticks. So there, I mean, he's 19 years old. There, there's going to be, you know, areas of growth and things that he does really well. But I, I, I think day one, he's going to be uh, a capable scorer uh, in this league. And as the game continues to modernize and, and spaces out and there is this preferential, you know, treatment for the offensive players, it's not a bad starting block to have a 6'10", 250-pound guy who can draw fouls like crazy, can score in a variety of ways. And basically, what, what I think he has over Jabari Smith right now is he has a go-to move. Like, you can give him, you can dump him the ball and say, get us a bucket. You need to, you know, either A, stop the bleeding, or we need a, we need a game-winning basket, like quiet the crowd. Paolo Banchero has that at an elite level like this from what I saw, like I can't remember the last prospect that I, that I was like so confident in and being an offensive force, just like, you know, he's going to be great. Uh, I know some people have like maybe com- compared him to Michael Beasley. Uh, I, I didn't see it. Beasley was uh, a little bit smaller, but when I watched Beasley at Kansas state and it was a big reason why I didn't think he would succeed in the league he was getting all of his statistics, just basically punishing smaller defenders in paint. Bully ball. You're not going to be able to do that in the league. Benchero was facing up, putting NBA moves on college players, meaning that's just the only differentials. He was going up against a collegiate defender rather than a league defender. League defenders are going to have a hard time stopping a 6'10 guy 20 feet away from the basket because it's tough to defend. He can go by you. He has a great spin move. He's not a, a a dominant athlete, as you mentioned, but he's quick enough. Yeah, he, he'll punt if you like put <clears throat> Rudy Gobert on him. He's blowing by him every single time. You mentioned the team construction, and then you mentioned a young Chris Paul being the point guard. You know what the 
the center that I think he he needs to have around him. And this is going to be a very big, uh, you know, Tyson Chandler. The, yep. <laughs> yeah. We're just creating the 07 Hornets with Paolo. Hey, the 07 Hornets had a great chance at winning the uh, NBA championship. They were up 2-0 on, on the Spurs, uh, the, the eventual champion, uh, San Antonio Spurs. Or, no, 07, 08 Hornets were, that was the Boston Celtics that won it that year, Lakers Celtics, but either way. The the, the 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 Hornets that year were amazing. They had all the Paige at Paige is the type of small forward you need with exactly. I mean, if you if 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 a team drafts Paulo, you got to look at the Hornets. I think seventy fifth percentile is David West that has dribble moves and moves his feet well. Like you see the mid range jumper, you see the nonchalant defense. That's David West. So, uh, are we just going to go into our comps? Yeah, let's let's start. What do you think his floor is? Blake Griffin on the Pistons because you you see Blake Griffin has ball skills. I don't know if it's as like sh- shockingly good as as Paulo, just because damn he can move. But the 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 defense is ah uh, okay. He can play make for others. He's more interested in shooting than he is driving. So a Blake Griffin on the Detroit Pistons would be the uh, the, the the 25th percentile Apollo for me. I'm going to go with a player, and it, it may not be exactly like Paolo, but in terms of he's just going to get you a bucket, and he's about the same height. He doesn't do much else. Rudy Gay. I mean, I think he's at least Rudy Gay coming in. Is he going to be as inefficient as prime Rudy Gay, though? If he's 25th percentile, probably. I mean, I, I could see that happening where he's he's taking too many shots, but more more in terms of that's all you're going to get is, is a bucket. You're not going to get anything else. Exactly. What is your 75th? What, what's your like middle of the road? David West that can move his feet. And don't worry about weird comps. You're going to see some really weird comps from me for Chet. But uh, <laughs> go, okay, so David West, I could see a souped up David West. So there were two players that really kind of came to my mind. First, in terms of his ability to put the ball on the floor and just kind of be a go-to score on on the block, Julius Randle. Uh, he he's quick like Julius. Uh, Julius loves that ball and he loves just kind of holding on to it a bit. And also a Tom Chambers. He's not as athletic as Chambers was. So for all of our younger listeners, Chambers was a monster for those early 90s sons with Kevin Johnson. Tom Chambers, in terms of his production, uh, Tom Chambers was more athletic, but Chambers was great on the perimeter shooting the basketball. Chambers was also a type of player who wouldn't rebound for you and really wanted touches. Like he needed his touches to really stay engaged. And so Tom Chambers made multiple all-star teams. Mm-hmm. That's what I kind of see for Paolo as his middle. I think he's going to make multiple all-star teams. Yeah, like two or three. Yeah, or he, three or four. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Dave, I, the David West amount of all-star. Yeah. So I, I, I'm. I think I think Paolo just has when you watch Julius, he has one move that he uses to get to the paint. Paolo has like eight. <laughs> um, maybe this is just body type, but. His top, Chris Weber, because he both of them have really good ball skills. Both of them have gravity. They both. Is this your 99th percentile? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, similar body types, similar games. 
both i mean chris weber absolutely could blam on people but like there is definitely some similarities between chris weber and and paulo just on the passing and the the ball skills like if chris weber played now he would be doing that the type of like hang dribble step back three-pointer type shit that paulo does so well I do need to see more from the playmaking from Banchero because Chris Weber, especially during those, I mean, Chris Weber was awesome. Those two thousand early two thousands, he, he and Vlade were like upper upper echelon uh, distributors, especially with their back to the basket, leading fast breaks. Uh, so yeah, I think that would be the 99th. That, that's a really good comp. My ninety ninth percentile is just basically I don't know if he's ever going to be a good rebounder or a good playmaker. I think he's a 6'10 version of, of Mello. He's going to give you a, a million buckets, and, and that's it. He'll probably be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and it'll be tough to build around him, a winner around him. But that's I, I think you're looking at a, a slightly taller version of Carmelo. It was just... The, oh, I mean, the moves, sets, the jabs, it just, all that it, shit. It, yeah. looked, it looked like Carmelo out there. I don't know if whether it was Madison Square Garden or us watching Mello in a Blazer uniform the, the previous two seasons. But, I mean... Melo's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. That That's not a bad 99th percentile at, at all. I'm not trying to uh, downplay uh, Banchero. Uh, and hopefully when we, we watch more of him, we see the things that could, I think, evolve into a different comparison to where it's like, okay, maybe he's not that elite of a scorer, but he's better at those things that we thought he wasn't as good at. So he can become a more well-rounded prospect. I mean... With how many NBA players the Duke Blue Devils have, we have to watch a bunch of Paolo Banchero. With that being said, were there any other players in that game that caught your eye at all? I would say, well, there was the the big man from Kentucky. Oscar Sheeway, who fucking Oscar Sheeway, who had 17 points and 20 boards. I, I was texting... Uh, with you, I think if 1997 were, uh, if we were, if we were in the 1997 draft, he's probably going lottery. Uh, I, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that in in today's uh, day and age. But I think if you're looking for a prospect to kind of mold into, you know, we talked about whether it was Lou Dort or Marcus Smart, just like a bowling ball of a guard, it, it had to be uh, Trevor Keels from Duke, who had 25 points, uh, 10 of 18 shooting. He's just a man child right now. And I remember I texted you and I said, I'm always concerned about players in college who are just so much more physically gifted in terms of their strength and their body makeup. Because you go to the league, there's guys that look like that just on the bench and you're not going to be able just to bully through. So, you know, can he become more of, of a knockdown shooter? Can he become the perimeter defender that Dort hangs his hat on? Uh, because that strength is going to be an asset. But when I think of that, I'm like, oh man, I remember, I remember Stanley Johnson getting the five-star hype out of, you know, Arizona and the McDonald's All-American because he was just so much, he was an NBA body against younger dudes. But when he got to the league, he had no skill. I think Heels has more skill, but I, again, I'm going to be interested to watch him and see how he's able to to grow because, you know, I, I do like your Marcus Smart comp. And if there's, you know, he's not a bad uh, player to roll the dice on in, in the later half of the first round. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I saw a lot of defensive brilliance from him where he would blow up screens and just be that, be that defender that teams need when 
you got Anthony Edwards, you got LaMelo Ball, you got all of these amazing guard players. You need somebody that's dedicated to stopping them. And you saw that Trevor Keels was a, about that. Wendell Moore, he he uh, he looks like a player. The last two years, it was really just uninspiring ball from Wendell. But I mean, with knowledge that we have on uh, January 12th, I know that he's kept up this level of production. He's looking good. Um, I wrote in my notes that uh, AJ Griffin, he did. He only played 10 minutes, but he moved really well for a guy recovering from those injuries. AJ Griffin is the uh, son of Adrian Griffin, who is was an NBA player and a uh, current coach on the Toronto Raptors. The Duke Blue Devils are being really, really careful with him because he is he he could be a lottery pick. So they're just like putting him in for 10 minutes here, 10 minutes there. Later in the year, he plays like 26. But to see someone who has basketball IQ in college is pretty impressive because the the offenses that teams run are really unimaginative. Like we're going to talk about. Gonzaga and uh, Chet, and it's like one of the worst systems built for Chet. Adrian actually moved the defense with his movement, so I know he's hurt, or it was hurt in that particular game, but it was good to see a wing. He has all the things that you look for in a uh, high-value wing, just to see the movement abilities and some of those rebounding was really nice, but Duke has a lot of really interesting players. Like that, the center had a really dominating block in the uh, on a uh, Kentucky uh, cut. Mark Williams? Mark Williams, yeah. Ty Ty Washington really didn't appear on the screen for me that, uh, that game, and I know he's going to be a first-round point guard. It just wasn't that. It was his he, first game, too. Yeah, yeah. And he just finished a 17-assist performance uh, last week with, with Kentucky. So Kentucky, um, I, I feel like the recruiting class, they got burnt so bad with the B.J. Boston class that they're just like you know what let's just get some veteran transfers and try and be competent and that's not working either unless you think oscar shiba is going to make it to the league which he's fun but i don't know if he's actually a nba player (laughs) anything else any closing thoughts on banchero before we wrap this one up sage i think paulo is a I think he is legitimately a top three talent. There's stuff that we obviously want him to do, but he is going to be a legitimately good NBA player. I don't think, I I mean, obviously where he's being placed is obviously going to help because I thought Ben McLemore was going to be a great player. Then he went to the Kings. So shit happens, but I feel like he has a very high floor of being a good basketball player. Where is he at on your big board? Third. Okay. Jabari's one, Chet's two because of the defense, and then Paulo's three. And then, uh, so for next week, we will be watching the Chet game, Gonzaga versus UCLA. And this is a this is like the the game where he just dominates. So I'm very excited to see what Chet can do because, uh, you know, they're – he's one of those prospects that people have some very heavy feelings about. So I'm excited to uh, watch and see what Chet does. Yeah. I think he's got the highest, he's the highest risk, highest upside, probably of anybody in the lottery. Oh yeah, absolutely. He could, 
he can be unstoppable if he hits everything. But we will talk about that in a future episode. Thank you so much for listening, and we're out of here.